thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, hello, testing one, two, three, four, five. All right. Still ringing? All right. Um, so how many of you have the coin? Is it under your butt? Are you holding it? This is fake money. Sorry. Tonight, we had, we had the nice uh, almighty dollar sign up here tonight. We are talking about money. How many of you are excited about that? How many of you know uh, that one of the things that they don't necessarily teach you at seminary, but one of the things they encourage is to never talk about money? Um, it's one of those things in churches that's become an incredibly taboo subject that they encourage you. They wouldn't say don't talk about it, but that no one ever does. Uh, the only people talk about it are our favorite, our best friends, the televangelists, because they know exactly what they can do with your money. And um, But one of the things I've come to realize, and even this summer is, uh, as I was thinking about this year, is that, that I realized that all of you, you're going to graduate someday. Yeah? And, uh, and in graduating... You will uh, all of a sudden get a real job, right? You're going to get a real job with with real money, uh, with real benefits, a real 401k, possibly. Um, it's going to be real money. And with that is going to come this responsibility of what then do you do with that? What do you do with the money and how do you live? Um because the reality is, if, if you've ever read the Bible, or you know that the way that Jesus viewed money, the way that Paul viewed it, was a little different than the American lifestyle and the way that we view money. And, uh, and I recognize that, that a lot of times, if we're honest, there's really a tension uh, as it relates to the issue of money, of money and possessions. You know, Steve talked about his trip to India. Let me say that when you go to India or a place like it where you see real poverty, uh, I would say if you've never been out of the country and you've never been to Appalachia, then you've never seen real poverty in real life. Um, there is a difference between poverty as it relates to, you know, bad circumstances of life, you know, that you still get, a, you still get fed during the week, and that poverty that is you have no opportunity to get out of, that literally there's absolutely nothing you can do. There are no resources you can, you can connect with. There's nothing that you can do to get out of it. And that's what you experience in India. And when we were in, 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 uh, in Mozambique a couple years ago, this place called Bakaru, it's literally a dump. Um, it's a mile-by-mile mile dump, and, and, and literally people are there every day. That's where they live. They get their, they, their means and sustenance of life is literally to live in this dump, and when you see a dump truck come, uh, come, you know, rumbling down the dirt road, people start chasing it because they're the first one to get the fresh trash, right? That's a different, it's a different level of poverty. So when you see stuff like that, it's overwhelming. Um, it puts this perspective of money in this whole new light of, of how can I watch these people who scream prosperity gospel? Have you ever seen those people, like a Joel Osteen type, uh, Creflo Dollar? Joyce Meyer, 
uh, who scream and say, hey, if you'll just if you'll just give God money, then he'll bless you in return. And if you want a brand new Mercedes, you just believe God for it. If you give, he'll give that to you. And I look at that and say, there is nothing biblical about that whatsoever. And there's nothing in the message of Jesus that ever speaks that or the message of Paul about this issue of money. And so, so you can, I live in this tension, this world of tension as it relates to money. And I want to start out tonight by sharing this quote to you uh, from Philip Yancey, who wrote The Jesus I Never Knew. It's an incredible book. He's a great author. I encourage you to read his stuff. He says this. He says, many Christians have one issue that haunts them and never falls silent. For some, it involves sexual identity. For others, it's a permanent battle against doubt. For me, the issue is money. It hangs over me, keeping me off balance, restless, uncomfortable, and nervous. I feel pulled in opposite directions over the money issue. Sometimes, I want to sell all that I own, join a Christian commune, and live out my days in intentional poverty. At other times, I want to rid myself of guilt and enjoy the fruits of our nation's prosperity. Mostly, I wish I did not have to think about money at all. But I must somehow come to terms with the Bible's very strong statements about money. That's how I feel, to be honest with you. I feel this tension from my life experience about the things that I have. Rain and I had this discussion. Almost in every, and she'll tell you, in every large purchase that we make, I have this incredible tension that I live in about how much money we're spending and what we're buying. Because I live in this tension, this world of tension. This tension of God, every, you know, this idea of, Man, you've given us these things in life to start over here saying, but God, I've seen things, and this, this stuff doesn't ultimately belong to me. God, I've seen people who need things a lot worse than I do. God, can I really justify purchasing this when I've seen this person chasing a dump truck because they want to be, or a garbage truck, because they're the first, they're going to be the first ones to get in the truck tonight. Am I comfortable with that? That's what Philip Yancey's struggling with. The Bible has almost 2,350 verses that deal with money, which is nearly twice as many verses that are devoted to faith and prayer combined. See, obviously Jesus and the authors of the, of the New and Old Testament were not afraid to talk about the issue of money. Yet, like I said before, it's become a taboo subject. It's something that churches don't talk about. And when people come into churches and they hear we're going to talk about money, they get, oh, what are they going to do? What do they want from me now? Right? They say, oh, they're trying to get my money out of me. Because what we live in this, this capitalist society that says my money belongs to me. I've worked long and hard for it. Therefore, it belongs to me. And no one can tell me what to do with it because... I am here to create my savings account for myself, for my family, so that we can make it in case the rainy day comes somewhere down the road and whatever. And I'm, I'm here. This money belongs to me. You never know what's going to happen. And I'm going to sit here and make sure that I'm okay. And you can't tell me what I should do and can't and 
And it could be with my money. You have no right. And so churches, like I said, have literally pulled back on the issue of money. They don't talk about it. What they do is almost apologetically. So I want to say unapologetically, they don't talk about money for this week and next week. Because I don't want you to be clueless about what the Bible says about money. I don't want you to, to leave here not having a clear perspective of the heart of God as it relates to the issue of money. Am I going to ask you to give money? Yes. Let's go ahead and get out there. I'm going to ask you to give money. Am I going to ask you to give money to me? Heck no. I'm fine. Am I going to ask you to give money to Wesley? No. I'm going to give you a choice. You don't have to. Because we don't, honestly, we don't need it. Right? God will provide. What I'm going to take you to, I'm going to take you through and show you tonight, what is God's view of money? And the next week, I'm going to talk about your responsibility with money. And I want to say this. We don't need your money. If you want to give it to us, hey, we'll use it in a very kingdom-mannered way. But what I'm going to encourage you is this, so you can know off the bat, your money doesn't belong to you in the first place. Get over it and give it away to people who actually have need. That's the heart of, of the issue of giving to money. So, with that said, let's move on. I want to say tonight that there's a timeless principle that we must recognize regarding ourselves and the issue of money. And it's this. There is a powerful relationship. Hear this. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. I'll say that again. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. Basically, what I'm saying is this. You want to know how you're doing spiritually? Then look at how you're viewing your finances and your money and your possessions and the things that belong to you. If you ever have read through the New Testament and you've read about money and possessions and the way that Jesus viewed it and the way that Paul wrote about it, you'll see very clearly that over and over and over again, they talk about money and possessions as it relates to people's spiritual life. He walks up to the rich young ruler and says, what's your command? What's your command? Have you held to his commandments? He's asked every one of them since I was a child. And he says, take all your possessions and give them to the poor and then follow me. That's hard. That is hard. Let me say this to you. I would be afraid to say that to somebody. My biggest giver. You know, Wesley, we, we run off of, off a, a, a money that comes in. We only get a portion of our yearly budget from Methodist Church. We have to raise about six, about 40, next year about 50% of our annual budget. It's money that we're going to be raising. And if someone came to me and says, I want to follow Jesus and I want to be part of your ministry and I realize I've got millions of dollars and I said, I want to just, man, I want to just invest millions of dollars into Wesley. It would be really hard for me to go to them and say, why don't you sell all of your possessions and give all of your money away? And then you can come be a part of Wesley. Do you think any church in the world has ever said that in the last 20 or 30 years? I bet there's been some fanatical church of like five that probably said it. And I bet that God was incredibly pleased with them. Honestly.
So what I want to say, I want to repeat this again. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. Now, what about money? Now, you have little coins right here, right? This is not real money, but it's just, it's going to pretend like for a second it's real money, right? Just hold this in your fingers right here. Feel it, right? Kind of press it, the whole idea, right? God gives you money, and your first thought is to hold on to it. Our natural response to money is to hold on to it, always. But And so as Christians, a lot of times we're going to think of this as being evil. But I want to say to you very clearly this, money in and of itself is morally neutral. It is neither good nor bad. It is the person who is holding this who uses it for either good or bad. Money itself was created by God to be used for good, to provide for those who are in need. But it, like every other gift, can be twisted and used for evil. Think about fire. Fire is a gift that's been given to us by God to warm us in the cold months. But what about all the fires that are going out in California? Is there anything good about those? No. Fire although it is an incredible gift to us, is also incredibly destructive when it's not used for its pro- in its proper way. Whereas water is the same way. Water is not only a gift, it's, a, it's what we need, the sustenance of life issue. But in Georgia right now, we know there are droughts going on, that literally in six months, if they don't get water, Atlanta will have run out of water. Literally, have run out of water. They won't know what to do. They won't be able to drink water. Who knows what's going to happen? Well, we, we saw in, in Hurricane Katrina and all this stuff that water was destructive. This incredible gift at the same time used in the opposite way can be very destructive, evil, and bad. That's what I want to say tonight, how it is with money. The greater a thing's potential for good when used rightly, the greater its potential for evil when used wrongly. The great, I'll say that again. The greater a thing's potential for good when used rightly, the greater its potential for evil when used wrongly. This is how it is with money. It has potential to be used for either good or evil. And it has potential to produce life or death in an individual's life. Richard Halverson, he was just a, a modern-day uh, speaker, a theologian, said this. He says, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a person's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a person's true character. All through Scripture, there's an intimate correlation between the development of a human being's character and how they handle money. That's why it's important for us to talk about it, because we are about producing character. We're about producing in you an understanding of the heart of God as it relates to every issue in life. And 2,350 verses in Scripture deal with this topic. It's not okay for us to be ignorant about it. In 
this place of building character, this is where our responsibility with money begins, where the heart of God is either offended or he's encouraged. He created money, a morally neutral object for our use. However, how we use it, how we respond to its use determines our character. Are we Christ-like in the way we spend money? Are we like everyone else in the world, trying to compete with the Joneses, right? Therefore, hear me say clearly tonight, our handling of money is a litmus test of our true character. It's an index of our spiritual life. Our stewardship of our money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. How you deal with the gifts that have been given to you. How you deal with the money that's been entrusted to you by God. will be the story of your life. So I want to talk with us about how your generation as a whole is doing right now. I want to read to you some very telling statistics about how your generation as a whole views money. This, here's the first one. This year, over 111,000 adults under the age of 25 will file for bankruptcy. At the same time, credit card debt for those under 25 more than doubled in the 1990s and has not slowed down since. It's probably quadrupled by then. According to a Federal Reserve Consumer Finance Survey, the average credit card debt for all of you 18 to 24 years old is nearly $3,000. The New York Policy Group Gemini's also found that adults under the age of 25 spend 30% of their income making debt payments. Just simply paying off debt. $3,000 worth of credit card debt. And that's just on average when you know some that are well above that mark. Now, part of the reason that we're living in that place in this generation is this. Our parents provided everything that we ever needed growing up. We lived, at the, you know, in the, in, after, after World War II, there was the baby boomers. There was this whole push uh, towards, you know, towards this like upper middle, it's middle and upper middle class, which most of you are from. And so you got used to this lifestyle that you were living in. And whereas your parents grew up with, most of them probably grew up not with very much, had to, had to make a name for themselves, had to earn money themselves. And they, made, they figured out how to do it. You have never had to do that. You, you come into college filled with expectation that you can live at the same level as you did that, that your parents are living in right now. You're 18 to 22 years old, most of you. Your parents, they didn't, they didn't arrive until probably their mid-30s, maybe even late 30s financially. And you're expecting to still live at that place that you grew up in. And so the only way that you had to do that is through credit. And so you spend and you spend money that you don't have, and there's really probably no chance of you getting that income in the future. So literally, 30% of all your monthly bills go towards a debt that you're not really paying off, you're just trying to pay down. And you're really spending all of your life getting it. And I'll tell you this, when you get, when you get married, you need to get out of your debt. You don't need to get married ever with debt, except for school debt. School debt's understandable, but even other than that, don't have it. Debt is painful. There's nothing, like I said, there's really nothing biblical about incurring selfish debt. Get out of it. Cut up your credit cards. I know somebody, when he got married, he took his wife's 25 credit cards to all maxed out and just cut them up and spent the next several years just paying those off. Don't 
like that, just so you can have something that you don't need. Here's a survey done by the Student Monitor. It indicates college students spend roughly $15 billion a year on their personal and social lives. $15 billion on things they don't really need. So we have in your generation, what we have in your generation is a group of people who spend a lot of money without understanding the needed boundaries, who seemingly mistake money and possessions for many times as the measurement of self-worth. How many people do you, how many of you sit there and you see someone with a nicer car, a nicer phone, nicer clothes, and say, oh my gosh, I've got I to gotta get that, right? I've got to measure up, I've got to get that, I've got I to have that, I've got I to gotta measure up to this. And there's a measure of self-worth. How many of you would look at someone who's poor and someone who's wealthy and you automatically respect the wealthy person because they, they made their way in life and they earned this money? There's nothing biblical about that at all. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy 6, verses 5 through 10. Timothy 6, but verses 1 through 5, begin to, begin to show Paul's warnings about those who teach and live out a different message than the one that Paul has been teaching. He's talking about people whose lifestyle is opposed to the will of God, who have at best, who have at best become a distraction to God's plan, and at worst have become spiritually dead, literally probably enemies of the cross. So he talks about them and begins to warn Timothy about them. He says, be aware of these people. Then he begins to describe, and he goes on in verse 5, to say this, he says, they have, robbed, they, have, they have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Skip down to verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here in these verses, we begin to get a picture of how God views money and possessions in our life. The first thing I want you to see is this, that according to God's contentment, contentment rather than wealth and, and, and possessions is the goal. Contentment. Verse 6 and 7 reveals to us the secret of not being controlled by money and possessions. Are you living a life where you are content, not having the latest and greatest? For contentment, it truly is freedom. Because contentment means that we are owned by nothing. Are you at a point in your life that you can say that you are content with what you have, and you don't really need anything else, and there's nothing that's mentally driving you to get something more than what you already possess. 
Is there real contentment? Are you content with what you have? When Paul is talking about, he's, he's talking about this contentment in verse 6 and 7. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Does that rip your heart in shreds? Does it take your desires and say, that really can't be the will of God? Because I see everyone else not living this way, not living this lifestyle. Is it, this is crazy to me. My parents aren't doing this. What does this really mean? I would say to you, I'm not going to tell you the answer, but you need to wrestle with this. It goes back to Philippians. I'm torn in this. Contentment. What does that really look like in your life? Are you content? Are you literally content with only necessities? That's what, that's what John, if you were to read John Wesley, he talks about that. Just, he, he goes in this whole diatribe. It's an incredible, I would encourage you to get it. It's about something about, I can't remember the name of the guy, it's something about, uh, something about riches. And he actually takes this whole uh, chapter from 1 Timothy 6 and he breaks it down. And he basically says this, says that those of you who are rich, he said, choose your necessities and give everything else away. Choose what you need as necessities for your family, necessities for life, necessities for what it takes maybe for your job that you're in, necessities for your children, and then liquidate, every, liquidate give away everything else. That's hard. That's hard for me. I, I, I'm sharing this, and you, you know me, right? You know that we have two cars. We have a nice, fat house, right? We, we go out to eat on a regular basis. You know if you have a house and a car and food, and you have at least a, a fairly steady income of some sort, whether it's from your parents or a job that you have, you are in the top 5% of the world's richest people. Top 5%. You are part of the top 5% of the world as it relates to wealth. How many of you have that? All of you? You are in the top 5% of the world as it relates to wealth and possessions. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Are you content? The second thing is this we find. Is the desire for wealth, the desire for wealth is dangerous. The danger in regard to money and wealth is the desires of our hearts. Your desires in and of themselves, maybe for, for wealth, are not wrong. But the inevitable path that desires take you down will be wrong. If your desires say, oh man, I, I want, I would love to be able to provide for myself. I would love to be able to provide. I'm struggling here. There's nothing wrong with that desire for possessions in that way. But if you give your life to pursuing it, then you will always become like that which you pursue. And all of you have seen movies, enough television shows about somebody who puts money first and they ruin their life. And Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, it's exactly right. My heart as it relates to wealth is this, that wealth will destroy you. If you pursue it, it will be dangerous. It will be dangerous if you give yourself to pursuing it. John Wesley, when commenting on verses 6 through 9, says this. 
Who of you desires to have more than the claim necessary for conveniences of life? Stop. Consider. What are you doing? Evil is before you. Will you rush upon the point of a sword? By the grace of God, turn and live. Basically what he's saying is this. For those of you who give yourself to pursuing wealth and comfort in life, it's like taking a sword and running towards it and plunging into it for suicide. Verse 9 says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. This is a hard word. It's something that you have to wrestle with. But God is really clear that wealth will be destructive. Your pursuit of it will be not if, you will be destructive. But here's the other part that's interesting. Wealth itself is not sin. Wealth in and of itself is not sin, right? Paul doesn't tell those who are rich in verse 17 through 19 that they are in sin. He doesn't even tell them to go and sell all their possessions and give it to the poor. He doesn't say that. He, sa- he, he tells them to be obedient, to look for ways to be generous with their money. See, that statement that Jesus made to the rich young ruler about you sell all your, all your possessions and give to the poor, it was not a mandate for every human being. I know Shane Claiborne in his book, Irresistible Revolution, talks about that and says maybe that it was. But it wasn't. It was not the heart of God. Because Paul would, not, would, 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 not be, would be saying it here. He would be saying very clearly, hey, all of you who are wealthy, give all that you have and give it away. What he says is you need to be generous. You need to be generous. What does that mean? I don't know. But I think it means giving to the point of discomfort. If I can say that. How do I know how much to give, Steve? Give to the point that it makes me uncomfortable. And that's the point you're giving yourself. I think it's what Paul's getting at. I think it's what Jesus gets at in this point of giving. That you give to the point of discomfort because that's the point of sacrifice. So wealth in and of itself is not wrong. Because remember, money is neither morally good or evil. So to have it doesn't mean you're evil if you have it. It is what you do with it. That is the point of verse 18. He calls them to be generous and willing to share. Number four is this, it all belongs to God. That's the crazy thing about all your money and possessions. It all belongs to God. You have no ownership of it. Verse 18 tells us that God is the one who provides the riches for our enjoyment. So in that, it's very clear that whatever you have has been something that's been given to you. So I find those people who are wealthy, and I realize, wow, you just have money because God has given it to you. It doesn't ultimately belong to you. It ultimately belongs to God. And what you're going to do with it is not ultimately your decision. It's whatever God wants to do with it. It all belongs to God. You have no ownership. When you read through a scripture, you see, I think it's in Matthew, they can't remember, but they talk about finances in, in, in the writers and says, for those of you who are rich, don't look down on those who are poor. And he says, to those who are poor, don't look down upon those who are wealthy. 
the reality is that there's this community aspect of what we're talking about this morning. So what does that bring us to? What is the ultimate purpose for wealth and possessions? The purpose of possessions is to take care of the needs of others. That's the ultimate purpose. The purpose of possessions and of money is to take care of the needs of others. The depth of transformation in the lives of the early Christians was most clearly evident in their willingness to meet each other's needs. Acts 2, 44-45, chapter 4, 32-35 says, They came together and all of them put their money in and they gave to those as they had need. And there was no, there was no poor among them. Now the thing that we look at that and we read that is we think this, a lot of times we've had this perspective of like, my gosh, these were, this was a holy time. These are special people. This is just how they did it back in the day. I want to say this. There was no difference between the people of that day who had money and today. It was no easier for them to give away money because they it was hard-earned money. They had worked hard to gain this. They, they had earned it, right? It belonged to them. It was no easier for them than it would be for us today to give generously to those who were in need. All of us, all of us, the purpose of our possessions is to take care of the needs of others. So what does this mean for us this morning? The thing you have to remember about wealth is this. Money is neither morally good or evil. You have to always keep that in mind. Because when you think about money, think about those who are wealthy, you begin to get frustrated sometimes. Why don't they? They could. They could do this. I want to say money in and of itself is not morally good or evil or neutral. And God has distributed to us so that we will use it to produce life on earth. Wealth is not sin, but we are held accountable for what we do with it. Because it does not belong to us. It belongs to God. God views money as something liquid that He pours in our hands and we have to let it just flow right through and say, God, whatever you want to do with it. Imagine taking, imagine money just being liquid that you pour over your hands and God says, I'm giving this to you. But ultimately, it should be completely released to go wherever it needs to go. That's how it is. That's how it is scripturally with money. That's what we do with our possessions. We can't hold on to it as if it belongs to us. It belongs to God. And He has entrusted us with using it wisely. You must get comfortable with money. You must be comfortable talking about it. You must be comfortable giving it away. You must be comfortable in receiving it. Because the reality is this about receiving money. The prosperity gospel, the one area they get it right is this. They say, if you are faithful to give and you're obedient, then God will bless you. And many times, honestly, He will bless you financially. But where they get it wrong is this is that when they receive that money back, they think it belongs to them so they can buy a brand new Tahoe. Oh, I gave $100, and God gave me $10,000 back so I could do whatever I wanted to with it. I wanted to buy this. And I would say, no, that's not right. Prosperity gospel is, is wrong in that area. If you are obedient to give, then God will bless you in return, and many times that will be financial. But He blesses you in a financial way back so that you can then take that and give it back again. Does that mean you can never enjoy a life with it? No. But it means you have to live a life of obedience 
of recognizing the voice of God and taking every single dollar that you spend and you say, take it to the Lord and say, God, is this okay? See, there's something inside of me that's only comfortable with money as I live in the discomfort of it. There's something that's comfortable inside of me as long as I live in the discomfort of recognizing I can't do anything I want to with money. And that's the most comfortable place I will ever live. But I live in recognition that money does not belong to me. And that I can never be comfortable just spending on anything that I want to. But I have to be aware of the money that I spend because I recognize that it belongs to me. I'm a steward. A steward simply means this. Someone who takes someone else's money and distributes it, distributes it as needed. And that's where I live. That's where Philip Yancey, in my opinion, ultimately is living. And I'm okay with him living in that discomfort. I want to live in the discomfort because that's the most comfortable place to be, recognizing that money does not belong to me. Have you ever had something large entrusted to you? Because whatever you do, like those of you babysit my children, you are stewards of my children. My children don't belong to you, but I've entrusted them to you to provide and to take care of them. And I hope you sweat sometimes as as I think you see them. I said, what if, what if? And God says, that's the discomfort I want you to live in with money. It belongs to me. So, tonight, this is what we're going to do. And band, you can go ahead and come. We're going to play Mount Shiraz so you all see what's all good in here. Now, up here in front of me, basket. This is a money basket. Now, some of you remember, we've done this before, some of you remember this. When I was in Ghana, West Africa, many moons ago, we went to church on Sunday morning, and as we came to church, y'all get out of your way, Sarah, she can come get on this and do this one. Um, that uh, on Sunday morning, they had this bu- they had this bucket like this, and uh, and it was the tithe and offering bucket. And uh, and when it was time, they played this really upbeat song, and all of these Ghanaian men and women came dancing all the way to the front as an act of worship, and they put their tithe or their money that belonged to God back into the into this basket and they danced back to their seat. And it was so fun because they would walk over to us, you know, Mr. White Man here, and they'd grab my hand and bring them tell me to start dancing with them. They're like You know, that was great and they're laughing at me and I'm laughing at myself and and uh, feeling embarrassed. But the thing that they said that was beautiful, they said we're talking about where we were. There was not a whole lot. They, they were not wealthy people. They didn't have much. They literally, like the widow's might, you read that section in the Bible, they literally took like one coin, they would bring it up, and they would put it in if they had it. And they said, but the reality is, is for many of us, and many of you, I, you know, for, for many of our people here, they don't have money to give. So what they do is they come, and they take their empty hand and say, Lord, I have nothing to give, but what I do have, I'll give you. God, give my heart. And they place their hand in the basket as if they were giving their Lord their heart. I love that picture. And so what we're going to do tonight is a Ghanaian style. We're going to take up money. 
Let me just say this tonight. The money is going for something important that I'll tell you about after we take it up. It's not coming to Wesley. It's going to go to those who, who have felt needs. Uh, that's not, it's not us. So you're not giving to us tonight. But you're going to give to those who are actually in need. And so I want to say this. If, if you have cash, you can give. If you have checks, you can give that. We'll figure out what to do with it. Uh, you can give whatever. But again, the money is not going to us. I want, so I want you to hear me say tonight, what is the heart of God? The heart of God is simply this. Money is not evil. And money does not belong to you. Money is supposed to be liquid in your hand. We're stewards of it. And you need to give to the point of sacrifice, to the point that it, it causes discomfort. Because that's the point where you're like, oh, gosh, God, if you don't bless me now, because that was, that money was to go to something that could have hurt tomorrow. My favorite story Tammy tells is about she'd been praying and praying for a computer. Someone gave her a laptop. Tammy Hudson's in India. Someone gave her a laptop. She's been praying for it to receive it. She's like, thank you, Lord. And the Lord said, but it's not yours. She's like, what do you mean? She's like, this is. Like, next day someone came and says, had a bigger need than her for a laptop. It's missing. So God gave this to you for you. But she handed it to me. Still in need of a laptop. A week later, this guy bought a brand new Dell. He didn't need it. And she, and he, and he, she didn't ask for it. And he just looked at her one day and said, Would you need my laptop? She's like, I don't need it. And he said, Do you want it? Rather than saying yes, he walked away. He said, Then you can have my laptop. That's what we're talking about. Giving and sacrificing. So, what we're going to do is this. Van's going to go and knock to us, and y'all get done. Whatever you need this money to time, you can go ahead and spread out and do your thing and leave it up here for y'all. So I just tell them what we're doing beforehand. So, so that's what we're going to do. They're going to get knocked to us, and I'm just going to say this. I want, I want, uh, actually, y'all just come forward as you want, okay? You just give it space. I want, but I want, I want you to come this way. I'm not causing a traffic jam right here in the middle. I just call the police or some sort of a So we're going to do this. Let me pray for us, and we'll go straight into the song. And, uh, and you come as you feel led. If you have, and here's the deal. If you have nothing to, if you're like financially, I'm going to repent. Just say, would you at least come forward and put something? Because I have nothing to give. But God, we ask a gift from you. God, here's my heart. I mean that. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you, God, for provision. We thank you, God, for the gift that you've given to us. And Lord, we confess to you as, as Americans. That we are, we are professional wasters. And God, we ask forgiveness for that. God, we waste and waste and waste and waste things that you're saying don't belong to us. And I'm asking for a sobriety tonight, God, about how you think about that. And I want to pray, God, that you will raise this tension inside of us and that we would live with it. Because that's the safest place. Because stewards are always aware of what they're taking care of and that they're doing a good job of it. Holy Spirit, help us to know that. Let's pray this in your name.